Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy, y'all. We're so grateful that you're here with us. I mean it. Today, we're talking to Jeremiah Latimo. And Jeremiah is a poet, a writer, a coach. He utilizes his insights on relationships and relational dynamics to help men live from their deepest core. Through his writing, his podcast, one-on-one coaching, and building community, he supports others in the work of integrating their deepest shadows. I have to say, this was our first episode, interview episode since coming back from our hiatus, and it was like a reminder mm. of why we do this. Why we have, well, not why we do this, like when you and I have conversations, I always get filled up, but like why we interview and bring in these people because, yeah. oh, it's just like inspiration. Yeah. I feel like it becomes a reminder that this is such an opportunity we have to speak to people in the world that we feel so unbelievably inspired by and that this podcast gives us that opportunity to do that. I just feel so fortunate. He is, I don't even have the words. He's just such a gift to humanity. I mean, it's literally all I kept thinking when we were talking to him. And when I got off, I was like, you are a gift. Also like God is working through you. Like it was being in his presence was such an experience of like speaking to God. Mm. Well, and God speaking through someone. That's what I mean. Like it's so it was, but it was like, it felt like tangible in my body, you know, like there's just those people that you meet where you're like, you're, you're doing your soul's work. Yeah. And I can feel the divine in you. And I don't know. That's just what I felt with him. Yeah. He's, he is clearly a channel and you know, He's so young with the, this like depth of insight that you're like the clarity with which you are seeing what you are supporting others and understanding to your point just gives you this awareness of like the divine offers people specific gifts and they're just really clear on what they're meant to do. And you feel that so strongly having conversations with them. And I think that we've had so many conversations and continue to have conversations around what we would call I don't know. I, I, I guess it's the mother wound, but like the wounding, I think of women, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think especially right now, um, there's a lot of these conversations, and I have not really encountered anybody yet who speaks so eloquently as a man, especially um, about the mother wound in men. 
and how that manifests and how it's showing up in our communities and in you know culture and all of these things. And his mission to help heal that in men in particular is just such a magical thing to witness because we need more men like him, I guess, to kind of be like the the holders of the initiation initiation or like the initiatory torch. Yeah. And that's what it feels like he's doing, or at least trying to do. And I, I just value it so much. Yeah, he's doing such an incredible job. I feel like he is one of those people that, you know, I will share his content with people and we're doing like that. Oh, like, what is this that he's sharing? There's this unspoken war of the sexes that is present that I think we are often speaking to. But the ways that he has insight into what is happening underneath and why this is happening and he speaks to it so eloquently um, has just been like it's given me such an understanding and he's such a potent teacher I've learned so much from him oh y'all you're gonna you're gonna just I'm sure I I just know that your minds are gonna be blown like today's a mind work Um, so before we get into it though let's give y'all a couple reminders so just remember Please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you listen most, um, as well as give us a five star and review, right? It really supports the podcast and reaching more people because, you know, algorithms and all that jazz. Um, But also share this episode with a friend if it resonates, right? Word of mouth is still the best way to discover something new in my opinion. (laughs) And if you haven't yet, check out the details of our upcoming week-long intensive retreat through another, either one of our bio links, right? doesn't matter. Go to either or my website, VanessaBennett.com. It's the first week of January um, and seats are limited. It sold out last year. So get on it. Don't wait. Okay. Well, without further ado, let's get into our conversation with Jeremiah. Okay. So before we started recording... I was like, wait, 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 stop talking. I want to wanna hit record because I want to ask you all about you and who you are and your upbringing and what brought you here and what was kind of the catalyst that got you into what you're doing, right? Like your journey into becoming who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share uh, on your wonderful, beautiful podcast as well. Oh, thank you. We're really, really excited to talk. Yeah, Jeremiah, I feel like, I feel like your content has quickly become some of my favorite on social media. Um, I'll pass it back and forth with my friends with like the head explosion emoji, because I think, you know, the concepts that you cover in such a concise way are really complex concepts, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so to Vanessa's point, I would as well love to hear like, how did you come to the space where you're doing what you're doing? And like the insight and wisdom um, at such a young age kind of blows my mind. So will you tell us a little bit about your journey up to this point? Yeah, so I had I have been through a lot of traumatic experiences just as far as from ages zero to five. And I was born in Congo um, and my mother is Rwandanese. And so the year I was born, 94, very young. Oh, you're my <laughs> um, brother's age. <laughs> so the year I was born was the beginning and the start of a genocide in Rwanda mm-hmm. that has been, you know, had a bunch of films and documentaries made around it. Um, but the reason that was significant for me as I got older and looking back in hindsight was that I was born in a time where there was a lot of death and violence and betrayal as well between Mm -hmm. two clans that are essentially brother clans, sister clans. 
and um and my mom was born in that environment i mean she was she she was raising children in that environment mm -hmm. and i was in her womb at that time mm -hmm. so through that i didn't know until in hindsight now that i internalized a lot of all of the things that she was experiencing her constant state of being in fight or flight um, survival mode um worrying about what's going to happen or how she's going to get it you know make it through the next day or see the sun um and so from zero to five i don't remember anything um mm. my life began at seven yeah. and that's when we left uh africa and then moved to oregon and then from there i that's where i kind of start remembering things or start to recollect things but as i as i got older we kept moving around so from oregon we moved to virginia and then from Virginia, we moved to Atlanta, where I was really stationed for a long time, which was different for me because I was so used to, like, having, like, alarm clocks on friendships and mm. at a young age, like, knowing that, you know, this isn't going to last, like, this person is going to be gone tomorrow because this is just how things work. At an early age, I started to develop these kind of ideas of relating to other human beings. Mm. And um, so it was really nice and refreshing when me and my family stayed in Atlanta and they haven't moved since. And um, so from there was when I was really started to able to ground into what was happening to me because I didn't realize that I had a lot of anxiety. Yeah. I didn't know how to connect to people. I came into Atlanta not knowing what it means to be a black man, being a black teen, um, because when I was in Virginia, when I was in Oregon, I was in predominantly white neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even know how to connect to my own blackness, which is now I'm in this huge cultural shock where I'm in the dirty south you know <laughs> and i'm in like the heart of atlanta so it was very difficult for me to find out who i was mm -hmm. to like make sense of my own identity as a teenager i'm trying to carve my own identity you know because i'm being also rushed to grow up and to you know decide what i want to do with my life decide what i want to do with my career so i realized that i was camouflaging throughout my whole life i just didn't know who i was so I blended into who everyone else was. Mm. Um, when I was in Oregon, I was doing the same thing. When I was in Portland, uh, when I was in uh, Richmond, Virginia, I was doing the same thing. When I got to Atlanta, I started doing the same thing. I would see whatever cool, what, whatever was cool, hip, trendy, or popular, I would just put on this mask and I would become that. And everybody would believe that's who I was. Literally, I became the cool kid. I became the popular kid. But deep inside, I was like, this is, this is just a suit. Yeah. Right. And so when I was 17, um, no, actually, after after eighth grade, the suit got a little too tight for me and mm -hmm. I started to break out. And it wasn't until I was 17 where I was mm -hmm. like, whoa, I really don't know who I am. And I started to ask myself really deep questions because I was like, wait, like this whole time I've just been trying to fit into what everyone needed me to be. And so from there, it led me to a lot of deep questions about myself and the absence of role models and the absence of heroes and what heroes did I gravitate to as a child? And what did that really mean about who I wanted to be? And, um, and so from there, that kind of led me into an exploration. I started trying to develop a skill to write. Mm -hmm. And so through my healing was when I discovered this gift of writing and I didn't even think I could write English wasn't even my first language. Um, and so from there I started to use the relationship with my mother for like a catalyst to like a deeper exploration of myself because i would say my journey got really interesting when i started to acknowledge my own shadows yeah. and that's why it's a centerpiece around my work today yes. was 
up until I looked at my shadows, it was all love and light. It was all, you know, everything's okay. Be forgiving, be compassionate. I was fighting mm-hmm. the nice guy, the people pleasing. And it was when I started to acknowledge like the payoff that I got from the relationship with my mother, where I was kind of like essentially manipulating her at times. Mm-hmm. Right. Knowing that my mom still wanted to feel needed in my life because now I'm 20. One twenty-three, and she's still finding ways to feel needed and i'm using those ways i'm using that desire in her heart to essentially get my own needs met Mm -hmm. and it was when i was noticing this and how it was harming her i was like wait like whoa this is a little this is a little dark dark." and um and then i found that same desire i found the same like covert way of getting my needs met in my relationships and so from there, I was like, I remember having a moment where I had realized that and my body started yawning. It wanted to mm. essentially get me from not diving deeper into what I was looking at. And I remember grabbing my phone and starting to record a voice note. And I was telling myself, I'm not going to allow myself to hide from this part of myself anymore. And I'm, I still have the voice note today. And from that point on, I made an effort to always acknowledge my shadows to form a deeper relationship with my shadows and so that is now like a pivotal center point of my work is also helping and assisting and supporting men in uncovering that because we have a very great capacity to avoid our feelings to avoid who we are on a deep level because at some point in our prehistoric times that was what we needed to do we needed to create a capacity for avoiding our feelings, pretending they weren't there, pretending what we were feeling wasn't actually um, inside of our bodies. And that was a survival technique and it worked. But now it's, I realize it was really hindering me because I couldn't get to the depths or the truth of what I needed to look at for myself and how I could improve my life and my relationships. So, so now my work is really centered around kind of embodying that. Um, continuously, but also being something that I desperately needed as a child and as a teen. Mm. That is a a, a model, uh, you know, a healthy masculine figure that could, you know, support me and seeing these things earlier on. You know, I went through a lot of pain to discover the things that I know now. And I I know that part, that process would have been a lot, a, a little smoother if I had somebody that could, you know, point me to something or just reassure me and remind me or just be a reference for me uh so now my work is centered in it's continuously becoming what i wish i i I had as a child Mm, i love that (laughs) i mean i'm just like first of all the age that you were at you were like you know i was 17 and i started realizing i didn't know who i was and i was like what 17 year old even thinks that way you know shit i wasn't like i think i'm just realizing i don't know (laughs) Yes. I mean, absolutely so blown away by that level of introspection that young, but also like, it feels like such a calling as I hear you speak about it, Jeremiah, because, you know, Vanessa and I come from a depth psychology background. So a lot of the Mm. elements of shadow work and, you know, ritual and um, initiatory periods are the way that we're trained to sort of look at things through a psychological lens. But there's something that I've heard you speak to about, you know, men aren't really initiated by fathers. 
mm-hmm. anymore. They're more socialized by a mm-hmm. wounded patriarchal structure to sort of like yes, yeah, sever yes. themselves from their emotions and devalue women and really devalue the feminine within themselves. And mm-hmm. I, I'd love to hear you speak more about like your process around that, because I think this um, lack of initiation for men in our culture is such a like fundamental pain point that Wounding. I see come up yeah. so often. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for that question. It's so, so important. And um, it was interesting for me, even getting to this point now, realizing that, wow, I didn't have, like, my father abandoned my family once we left Africa. So Mm -hmm. he stayed in Africa. And my mother went to um, travel to the States with, um, you know, my uncle. Because mm-hmm. he was the person that stepped up and was like, okay, like, you know, you need, you need a man, like, you can't go to the United States by yourself. So he stepped in and, you know, while he was in my life, he also was dealing with a lot of trauma. So he couldn't show up as the best man or the man that I needed at that time. And also a lot of misogynistic and patriarchal values and beliefs that he also, um, you know, reinforced throughout mm-hmm. his parenting style. And yeah. It was also very difficult for me. And I had an older brother. I have an older brother. Um, and he was not also the best role model. And so it was very hard for me to look around because I knew there was an initiation that I was in. Mm-hmm. I knew as a, as a young child, there was an initiation that I was in. And I just didn't know how to get to the other point. And I think it's so important for men to recognize the other ways that we're initiated. And what happens through that initiation process, which looks like I'm a teenager, I'm athletic, I'm muscular, and my parents bring me into sports, right? They bring me into this arena of competition. And it's from there that I go through as a teenager, as a child, a very serious initiation, right? And that initiation for me, I see it as an attempt to gain my father's respect, Mm -hmm. an attempt to gain the approval and validation of also other men, right? The men that I'm playing football or basketball or tennis or uh, hockey with, right? I'm in this, essentially this brotherhood, and I'm finding ways in which I can stand beside them, right? Confident, knowing that I'm welcomed in this brotherhood, mm-hmm. right? But through that, that process, that initiation requires that I abandon, I betray, and I sever certain parts of myself, right? And through that, I understand that, wait... I'm trying to create connection here. And in order to create that connection, I must sever my authenticity, Mm -hmm. right? Because my authenticity is now jeopardizing this connection. So Mm -hmm. as that child, as that boy, I'm posed with two questions. You're either going to be authentic or you're not going to have connections. Right. Right. And so as young boys, we sever that part of us that is sensitive. We sever the parts of us that are cuddly, Uh, fun that are open that are vulnerable that are um, you know want to intimately create connections with other men as well right that want to you know as as kids as boys we have sleepovers we sleep in the same bed we wear matching pajamas we play we hug each other even kiss each other on the cheek right but as men there as we go into this initiation it's it's kind of invisible but it's there we go into this initiation and it's telling us that doesn't belong here. That mm-hmm. has to go. You will not make it to the next phase. And most men, sadly, abandon that part of themselves. They say, mm-hmm. okay, I'm trying to make it to that other part. I 
I'm trying to be successful in the world. I, I want to have brothers. I don't want to be isolated. I don't want to be ostracized. I don't want to be, what? Okay, I'll just let it go for now. But then part of that comes with, hey, you know that part of yourself that also honors the feminine, sees it as valuable, wants to respect it, and adores it, right? That has to go too on some mm-hmm. level. Mm-hmm. But that, that starts to require me to look at my mother and start there, right? Mm-hmm. So it starts there. Okay, your mother just said something, right? And then I start to lose respect for my mother in, in the subtle ways, but I'm just severing these bonds that I'm told won't make me a man when I grow up, right? So the initiation is there. It is just invisible. And most of us don't have the positive role models that have actually made it through that initiation. Most of these men that become fathers, right, and then initiate their sons into the same shit, right, are not, they didn't make it. Mm-hmm. They only made it through the first stage. They didn't make it. They stopped at the first stage and was like, okay, I'll bend in these parts of myself, right? But part of that initiation is going through and recognizing that, whoa, you are in a process of discovering your true self. And part of that is going to be at times trying on different things, right? Where you kind of like, oh, okay, let me try this out, which I did for myself as well. Like I tried to be the asshole. I tried to be the douche. I tried to be the macho guy. It just didn't fit. <laughs> like mm-hmm. yeah. I tried the mask on. It just didn't fit. And I was mm-hmm. like, I tried to wear it for a couple of years. And I was like, this is not me. And I remember, you know, my, um, my friends that uh, would always call me Jerry Bear. And I would be so upset. And I'd be like, oh, I'm trying to like, keep this macho guy you guys are calling me there man. this is not <laughs> so yeah. it was just kind of revealing me back to like no this, this is not who you are mm-hmm. right but i could only discover who i was by getting a glimpse of who i wasn't right and so this is what i mean by each of us men are posed with attempting and trying these suits on but we don't get to the point where we like realize that it was just to help us see who we truly were right but it requires us to have men that have gone through that stage right. and say, hey, that was just a part of the initiation, right? You can now reclaim your authenticity, right? And seeing who you were when you were wearing that suit or wearing that mask helps you assist and support men that still believe that that mask is who they are, right? So now I can see that, oh, when I used to be this, I can, I can understand it. I can help and support other men from walking out of that forest, right? From taking my mask off because I've been there, right? I thought for me, this is the way that I get love and respect. So if I don't go through it myself, there's no way that I can support another man. I'll be alienated and estranged from his experience because I never had to wear it. So this is, this is what I mean by having other men that have actually gone through the initiations is very, very, very in, in important because most of us get lost in the initiation. Like we, it's, it, it, you know, the thing is, it, it's an initiation, it's an initiation and most people don't make it out of it. Mm-hmm. Like there are certain cultures and traditions and like Mexico and stuff where they give you, um, peyote and these plant medicines and you get it to a certain age and they say, go into the forest. Yeah. Right. At night. If you come back, you're a man. If you don't, well, and that's the initiation. Mm-hmm. So it means that some men don't make it out that forest. Mm-hmm. And this is the thing is like we're in a place where the men that have made it at that forest can go back into the forest and help other men come back out, right? To remember themselves. So I feel like, you know, it's it's important for 
me to continue what I'm doing, but other men to walk out of there, but also look at other men that still uphold and wear those mm-hmm. masks and not judge or shame them, right? Not guilt or isolate them because that perpetuates their condition. That perpetuates them holding on to that mask and believing that this is the only way that they can make it through the day. This is the only way that they can earn love and respect, right? So I feel the, the removing the shame aspect of it is very important because much of the masks become tighter because they're, uh, they're festered and grown in a state of isolation. Mm-hmm. Because other men don't have other men to talk to about. And even men that are, I, I would say at the stage of initiation that I'm in, might look at other men and be like, yeah, he's over there. I, I can't speak to him. I can't connect with him. And that's where I think we need to actually reach out more. <laughs> Go ahead, Di. Well, I'm just so... <laughs> I'm so blown away because there's so many elements of what you just said that are like, I felt emotional listening to you a little bit. One, because I feel like I have a little boy and there's so much of me Mm -hmm. that wants to foster what you're speaking of in terms of like, I watch him with his little friends and like just they're they're so loving and kissing each other and hugging and like how much we socialize that out of our little boys. And I'm like, how do I foster this and like protect this energy in him? And I love the way that you speak about like the initiation, like, and like the stagnant space that we get in a lot of times. Um, and what I was coming up as you were talking is I think there have been so many ways that you and some of the other men that I follow have been just such a, you know, resource for me as a woman, certainly as a therapist, but to my own blind spots around how I've been conditioned to not really be that curious about the emotional landscape. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that question because it's, it's, it's such a important role because Men, when they return to themselves, are deeply devoted and in service to the feminine. But it's so funny because the feminine is, they, they never leave. Like, you never leave that space of relating to the masculine, right? The, it's funny, like, the, the masculine leaves this state of service and devotion and starts to look how the world can serve him. Mm-hmm. But the feminine never leaves that awareness. It continues to serve the masculine, serve the world and remains in that state of devotion. So when men come to the space where we're like, okay, I can't do this by myself. Right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we over rely on our partners. Yes. Right. For that level of support. But the thing is, is that when we over rely on our partners and become dependent on our partners, it's difficult for our partners to actually support us because they're naturally inclined to already be in that state. Mm. right? To nurture, to mother, to caretake, to support, right? So from what I found, it actually does not make that level of development and maturation possible when that dependency is there, right? Because So we keep them in a state of it is what you're saying, like like the natural inclination or or maybe even the socialized inclination that women have to stay in Mm -hmm. that state can essentially thwart the continued growth of that man. In their exactly. Life. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because like you said, it's, it, there's, there's a conditioning. There's, a, there's even a, a patriarchal kind of like a overlay, right? Where mm-hmm. it's like, Oh, this is what you need to be doing. This is how you, you know, how you're valued and also how you show your value. This right. Is how you show how you're useful and, you know, you relate to the masculine. And so there's already an, another layer on top of, you know, how our partners are showing up that also isn't 
more more likely than not authentic, completely authentic, right? right? So when we lean into that, we're like, oh, yes, I'm doing the work. Now I can rely on my partner. She's already there. She's already there, right? So that allows us to not really get into the places where we can really mature and, mm-hmm. and, and I would say grow up, right? Yeah. Because a lot of us, we're physically adults, but on an internal level, we're not. Right. We're not. And so when our partners are already completely developed in their mother-like nature and we're children inside, mm-hmm. what's more likely going to happen is there's going to be a caretaking and a, a, a holding and a, and, a, and a coddling to that child because that's where we're really at, right? So to support, to support in that maturation is to stop seeing, even though he may be, even though I may be still, right? Maybe now I'm just in my teen years, like actually internally, I've gone from seven to like 17, right? But I'm trying to get to a point where I'm like full grown again, right? Yeah. But my partner, there's, there's this level of, there's this level of maintaining the vision, right? Mm -hmm. Maintaining the vision of him, I being an adult, right? He is an adult. I, he, he's going to get there. He's going to get there. And what responsibilities, right? Would I hold him to if I recognized that he was an adult? That would be completely different from when I tune into his internal state and recognize that he's still a child. But I want him to mature and become that adult that I know he can be both internally and outward, right? So that requires me to maintain this vision of him being a full grown man. Right. An adult with responsibilities, with emotional intelligence, with the capacities for love, vulnerability, all of these things. Right. So what would I do differently? Mm-hmm. Right. If I knew that in my heart, he was an adult, he was my equal. Right. Not a child that I was caretaken to that I had that was dependent upon me for comfort, safety and e- on uh, a level of ease in his body, feeling ease in his body. Right. If I knew that, how would I show up? Right. More than likely not. Our partners would actually stop, would actually break that cord to our, their men being emotionally dependent on them Mm. by saying, Hey, you know what? I can't take responsibility for your emotions right now. Mm -hmm. I see what you're feeling. I see what you're going through. And I have so much compassion for you. Right. I love you so much. Right. And at the same time, I also love myself very much. Mm-hmm. And so it's allowing the, the 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 compassion and the boundaries to exist at the same time. This ability to hold that paradox. If I'm compassionate towards his neglected inner child, then that means I can't have boundaries. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. That means you maintain those boundaries, right? And you also maintain that level of compassion because your compassion for him cannot override the compassion you have for yourself and your own inner child that's already been through that experience where a man looks to you to caretake to his needs, right? It's already mm-hmm. been traumatic enough, especially if you have an underdeveloped father that was looking for you to be his mother as well. It's like, that was traumatic enough. Don't put yourself through that again, right? But how do you break that cycle? Is by going against what also the patriarchy would, wouldn't want you to do, which mm-hmm. is hold men accountable, right? This is why these other movements, the Me Too movements are very, very um, profound because it's mm-hmm. about holding men accountable, right? Right. And patriarchy allows us to repeat these mantras of boys will be boys. 
Mm. But boys will be boys, right? Become men that are emotionally stunted and underdeveloped, right? They don't know, right? They're still boys. Literally, mm-hmm. they're still boys, right? Because what we're doing is saying that, oh, you can't hold them accountable, right? You can't hold that man responsible for his actions. What? He's a boy. And well, it's funny because I, I've, I've actually said to a couple of times, a couple of times when I've gotten in conversations with um, women and, you know, listen, women right now, they have every right to be angry. And I, and it's, it's a little bit of what you're saying. It's like, I can hold with compassion that rage. Right. And I can, I can see, and I can experience personally, I can tap into where that comes from and it, and it's alive and it's valid. Right. Um, and also when we do this finger pointing of like pointing to men and essentially saying like, it's all their fault, like men need to step up. I'm not saying that that's not necessarily true in some capacity, but also a lot of times with women, I'll say, who is raising these men though? Like Mm. men are not creating this in a vacuum. We are part of this as well. So I'm not like blaming air quotes, blaming the mothers, but what I'm blaming is a society that says it's all men's fault and doesn't step into some sort of um, responsibility acceptance of responsibility for our part in that and um, i just think that you're what you're speaking to is so beautiful because it's that it's like you can hold compassion and also still hold yourself accountable and hold that other person accountable as well and until we're able to do both i i don't know how we move forward yes yes yes, exactly It's, it's it's beautiful because it allows me to actually see how i can show up and support in the moment because this is really like wait Sometimes my support and sometimes me showing up for my partner requires that I stop showing up for myself. And it's recognizing that that doesn't have to be the story anymore, right? It was the story when we were a child, right? When our parents needed us to abandon ourselves, have no boundaries in order for us to maintain Mm -hmm. and not jeopardize the love and connection with them. That's not the story anymore, right? So we're rewriting these stories in our relationships. And that's where the healing is coming from, right? By recognizing Mm. that, wait, I used to do this. I used to relate to this part of myself in this way, Mm. but I'm no longer doing it. And that's what we experience as healing, right? Mm. So the only way that we can create those capacities for healing, those doors, doorways for healing is by choosing to do something different, right? And so the man is then forced to do something different as well, Mm. right? When, When his partner looks at him and says, I can't take that emotional responsibility, I can't take that on. It's not mine to carry. I love you so much, but I'm, that's not mine, right? Mm-hmm. And also acknowledging, you know, her, of course, her actions and supporting whatever limiting belief that's being activated right now, right? I'll, I, making amends. How can I, you know, how can I not do that again? Let's talk about a plan of action, right? Mm-hmm. But you see, it's very collected. It's very, yeah. I'm not rushing out of my body to fix you. Right. I'm taking responsibility for what is mine. So that I love what you said, because it removes the blame aspect because Mm -hmm. it's not about blame. It's about where does responsibility lie? Right. Right. We're all in this together. Exactly. And it's like, where am I taking too much responsibility? Right. Mm -hmm. Or where are you avoiding responsibility? Because this is where the conversation is. Right. And when we discover where my responsibility is, right, we're each in our own stations and both of us feel like we, we feel happy and yeah. we may not look like that in a moment, but we're like, Oh my God, I didn't abandon myself. Right. And the man is looking at us and like, wow, I'm really showing up for myself. right now. Yes. 
right? Yeah, and we were just talking about people. this. Isn't this so funny? Right before we recorded, we were talking really? about something in my relationship, and it was it was very similar to this. It's like, at what point do you get to a place where you say, "I'm not going to overstep my personal boundaries in order and and yes. abandon myself in order to show up for you in a way that it's actually pretty obvious to me and, and where I sit." is like your journey is your healing is attached actually to some of your mothering, your mother wounding. And yes. I'm not going to do that. And even though that's uncomfortable, and even though to you, that feels like I'm not necessarily meeting your needs or giving you what you want. I'm, I'm going to stay with myself in this because I know, I know that. And, and I'm going to stay in my knowing. And it's just funny because we were just talking about this. So it's, it just feels synchronistic. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah. 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 Go, go ahead. Yeah. What I loved about what you said so much, Jeremiah, is I think there's so much power in holding the person we love in the highest vision of who they mm -hmm. truly are. And I think a lot of times when we're doing some of that over-functioning for our partner, that like parenting of our partner, we are we're sort of sending them the message. I don't believe that you're capable of stepping in. Like if it's my yes. man, I don't believe that yes. you're capable of stepping into that healthy masculine mm -hmm. role in our yeah. world. And is that loving? Like, I don't know, maybe not. Right. Yeah. 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 I completely agree. I completely agree. And it's, it's, it's so important to see them as equals, even when they're showing up in this childlike state and being activated, it's like, I, I can still see you in that. And I know mm -hmm. you can do better. And you can continue to rise. And I'm loving you exactly as where you are right now. I'm accepting of it. And I'm also holding you accountable to who I know you can be. Right. And I, I like you said, I think it's the most loving and supporting thing we can do for the other and ourselves. Right. There's this mutual abundance of love that's happening for both parties. Right. Yeah. And their egos may not always receive it as love. And that's okay. And I think mm -hmm. that's the beauty of, you know, uh, women that are holding that mm -hmm. is that there is an amount there's there's an intense uh healing in that experience even though it is discomfort because there's a capacity created for uncomfortable feelings right when i'm not rushing to fix i expand my capacities to be in uncomfortable emotions to mm -hmm. sit with difficult experiences mm -hmm. and just allow my partner to experience discomfort and knowing that though he's experiencing discomfort I don't have to rush and ease that discomfort. Discomfort is natural. He's approaching yes. a new layer of himself. It makes mm -hmm. sense, right? So there's this ability to separate my feelings from his feelings. Again, so this is why I feel it's so important in our relationships. Why that is where the healing is, is because as children, we were not able to do that. If mm -hmm. my mother was upset, I was upset. If yeah, my mother yes. had a bad day, I had a bad day, right? Because my needs were meshed with hers. Right. And I'm pretty sure girls feel the same way about their fathers. If their yeah. father or came their home, mothers. <laughs> or their mothers, right? Yeah. If they came home, they were stressed out. They didn't have a good day. For some reason, we would internalize that, right? Mm -hmm. And we would experience discomfort. Mm -hmm. So now we're learning how to stand in our separate, unique emotional experience. Right? Here's what I will Even say, because I, I, sorry to interrupt you. I feel like I know... I can already hear in my mind the people who are hearing this or wanting to like ask questions or comment on this, you know, the listeners and especially a lot of the clients that I work with, it's like, well, that's all well and good. But when we're in the day to day, when we're in like the picking my kid up from school, making sure the household's running, right. All these like real life things, um, yeah. you know, how do I do that? How do I do that? And it's like, 
Well, part of this is number one, let's just say this isn't easy. We're talking no. big life and and identity shifting ways of being in relationship to one another, right? <laughs> and also going back to what you were saying about how it's so attached to childhood, because so many of us men and women alike are so used to being fixers and so used to being like the soother of the other person's discomfort, right? It, when you start doing this kind of work in your relationship, it is going to feel like you guys are in conflict a lot. Like I want to, I want to put words to that because what happens is because so many of us are not good with sitting in conflict because we are fixers, right? Even if you don't consider yourself a quote unquote fixer or like the caretaker in your relationship, exactly what you were saying, Jeremiah, you almost intrinsically are by nature of how we're raised with our parents, right? you're going to feel like you're in conflict a lot. And a lot of the, the getting to the other side of this, the way I see it is actually how can you two continue? And we're just talking about, you know, maybe like a heteronormative two person system here. How can you two continue to come back and have conversations around? I'm in this place of discomfort because of X, Y, and Z give compassion, give empathy, and yet hold your boundary, hold firm. And then again, yes, maybe yes. the next day I'm, I feel like we're in conflict because of X, Y, and Z. And it's like this process of repeating it because what I'm imagining is somebody saying, yeah, that all sounds great, but like, I don't want to be constantly fighting. I don't want to constantly be, you know, you know what I'm saying with this? It's like, it, it, I'm, yeah. I'm getting like the tangible in my ear of people being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I agree. I agree. Even in my partnership now, everything I'm speaking about is new things that I'm learning in my relationship just mm -hmm. as a man and as a, as a partner, mm -hmm. you know, I want to spend the rest of my, my life with my partner. And so there's a lot of discomfort that I'm experiencing now in the new ways that I'm relating. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's like so uncomfortable. Like, you know, my partner has an anxious attachment style. And one thing I learned recently was that anxious attachment styles love random moments of reassurance. Mm. like unsolicited reassurance <laughs> yes they do <laughs> and i was like this is like so uncomfortable <laughs> i was like <laughs> like just random because my own i'm the avoidance so mm -hmm, i like too. to keep to myself but like you know if it's a big moment then i i love words of affirmation but it takes me out of what i'm usually um used to Mm -hmm. Right. But I know that it is not only healing for me to operate in a new way that expands my capacities for love and vulnerability, but it also meets my partner's needs and allows her to know that she's loved, respected and adored. And I'm thinking about her. Right. Okay. So the first, I mean, even just trying it out <laughs> has been difficult. Just mm -hmm. trying to relate to that part of myself has been difficult. So I love what you said. None of this is easy, even in just that all i'm saying is you look beautiful today i really appreciate you like you know you made my day when you honored my space for a long time it really meant mm. a lot to me like all of that is what would be seemingly easy quote unquote but is requiring so not easy <laughs> i'm uncomfortable when you're saying that i'm like oh god that feels so hard because i'm i'm with you on that my partner is like yours and i am like you and like i get when you say it out loud it like it sounds so simple and yet i'm like squirming yeah. squirming inside it's like pulling teeth and it's yeah. like it's not about her it's not that she's not worthy of that right. it's just the part of myself that just so comfortable within a specific expression Mm -hmm. So in our relationships, our relationship, if we've been with this person for two, three, four years, 
it is very comfortable in a specific dynamic. Yes. Right. And what we're saying is we're pulling out those bricks and we're laying new ones. Yes. And from that, there is going to be a quote unquote rupture. Yes. Right. It's going to look like a rupture, but it is not a rupture. Right. It is you setting new foundations, you yes. changing the ways in which you relate. Even when you clean out a closet, right, you're cleaning the house. Mm -hmm. But if somebody walked in your room, they like, wouldn't oh, notice this it. Is a, this is oh, a mess. I can, yeah, they yeah. can't tell. Mm -hmm. They can't tell you're cleaning up. Yeah. Right. So in our relationships, we have to keep that in mind that it won't look as if we're cleaning things up. We're polishing, mm -hmm. right, our communication because it will get messy before it improves. Such a good way and to put it. Again, what we're talking about is being able to stand in what would be seen as a fire, mm -hmm. right? And knowing that something is being purified, right? Keeping mm -hmm. that, maintaining that awareness of there's something being purified. There's something being polished in me, my partner, and my relationship right now, mm -hmm. right? Being able to hold that is, is, is difficult, you know? But I think it creates, you know, capacities that we weren't able to mature or yeah. grow or harness as children or as teens because our relationships were the relationships that they were they didn't invite this kind of maturity right and now yeah. these are conversations we're having it means that hey you're ready you yeah know? but i also think that you know part of this is uh, ownership in if this is the kind of relationship that you're looking for there is a little bit of understanding that if your partner is not meeting you in that then yes. you have to respect their capacity, but also respect yourself and what your needs are and the kind of relationship you need. Right. I get this a yeah, lot yeah, working with clients. That. It's like they that. come to uh, come to me, you know, and, and it's like, well, this relationship would only be great if he would just, you know, it could be so perfect or amazing if he would just, and it's like, no, 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 that's, that's not, yeah. that's not how this works right now. Clearly we can come together as a couple with me, maybe as a third party and I can gently show you some of the ways and gently show you some of the ways. But at the end of the day, we both have to be willing to step up and step in that fire and continually look in the mirror. And a lot of times when we're not, what that looks like is this kind of quintessential idea of like one person outgrowing another, or mm -hmm. we grew apart, you know, we grew separately. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because many times what will happen is one person or the other will experience this kind of awakening or longing, mm -hmm. right? For mm -hmm. this kind of next yep. level, this next layer of bricks that they're ready. But the other mm -hmm. person doesn't want to do that. They don't want to go in the fire. They want to stay in the comfort. They don't not really look in the mirror, right? And so they'll fight against it. And um, a lot of times people who come to me and couples work are in that crossroads. Oh, one wow. person's ready and one person's not. And that's a really hard place to be in, you know, for either party, yeah. actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. It's so, it's so challenging, um, especially when you form a relationship, when you form um that level of commitment to one another that attachment you know and then you have all the other things that might follow after kids or all of mm -hmm. these things and it becomes very difficult to i think what you're talking about is honesty like radical yeah. honesty of like yeah. this is where i'm at this is where i want to get to yeah. and this is where my partner is at and i've already accepted this mm -hmm. but now i'm at the point where there's action that's needed mm -hmm. and i have to do what's best for me what does that look like Mm -hmm. Right. And that's that ability that we mentioned earlier, that ability to hold these level of paradoxes where it looks like sometimes my compassion for the person where they're at and the relationship, all the things that we've gone through 
kind of starts to override where mm-hmm. I want to be in my life, what I truly desire from my relationships, right? Feels like both of them can't exist at times. Right. It's like, no, and they, no, they can't exist, right? You having compassion towards your partner for where they're at and, you know, maybe the things that are stunting them from making those changes can still exist with you still desiring and being passionate about creating that level of commitment, mat- maturity, um, and, and, and just beauty and love and vulnerability in your own relationship. So it is, it is, it is a tough place. It is a tough place. Yeah. I want to, I want to, I want to go into a specific topic, um, because I, I'm, I'm aware of time and I, and I want to make sure that we, we respect your time, but I really want to talk about, or at least talk deeper because we've been talking about it without maybe naming it, this idea of mother wounds, um, mm. unresolved mother wounds, you know, uh, in preparation for this conversation, I was, I was doing some internet stalking as we do, and I was diving deep into your content <laughs> and you just, you speak really eloquently of something that Danae and I will talk a lot about, you know, and I think as a culture, we talk a lot about like the father wounding. Um, I think more recently we've been talking or hearing more about mother wounding. And what I have found is I, I see a lot of female, a lot of uh, women talking about the mother wound, but I really appreciate uh, as a man, you coming in and speaking about it. And probably that's why I found it so profound, but I would love for you to talk a little bit about maybe a few or what you feel like some of the biggest mother wounds are, um, you know, how do what do you see them affecting in men or in relationships, right? Like give us an understanding of that. Yeah. yeah. And just kind of to build, as you answer that question, I just, because I have you, I'm so curious to ask you about something that I am trying to understand and formulate in couples. I've heard you speak about this idea and it's about sex and, and yes, like the mother wound in it. But what I find ends up happening is this mm. mothering and parentified dynamic in the couples that I see so mm. often is like killing the erotic charge, the erotic unknown. And yes. you speak about um, men not using sex as a way to experience closeness, but more as a way of conquering low self-esteem. And I think that is connected yeah, yeah from my experience to the mother wound. So I would love if you would also, as you're answering Vanessa's question, talk about it in the context of what it is doing to our sex lives as well, if you would. <laughs> so it's like, personally, I would like to know the answer to this question. <laughs> I'm like, well, no, not actually, but still I would love for the couples that I work with. Cause I think it's like, this is the most common conversation it's that I so, have oh is so like common. the man in the relationship and heteronormative dynamics always wants sex. The woman is yeah. always resistant to giving it. And it's a lot of, yeah. from my perspective, some of this has to do with what that's about. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah. If there's any men listening right now, any masculine dominant, like turn up your volume. It's so, mm. so important to understand how our mother wounds are impacting our relationship. Um, because I feel for myself, they, the, the mother wound cuts deeper than any wound. And because my relationship with my mother is the only relationship that does not begin with separation. Mm-hmm. My mother and I once shared a body, once mm-hmm. shared an identity, once shared food, once shared emotions, once shared feelings. We were one being, right? No other relationship, unless I'm a twin, operates like that, right? My father, I met my father. Right. We were separated and then I met him. My siblings, I met my siblings. We were separated and then I once I met them. My life partner, we were separated and then I met them. My mother is the only one where I didn't have that dynamic. So the pain that is stored in that relationship will always bleed into every area of my life, every aspect of my identity, every aspect of my being. 
So when I look at my mother wound, I can see it everywhere. Mm. But where it will most, you know, take precedence and form is going to be in my intimate relationships because that is where I'm most vulnerable. And so for men, it's important to recognize our enmeshment with our mothers. It may not always look like I loved my mother. I adored her. I was like, she was my, she was my, she was my, my inspiration. Mm -hmm. No, it could also look like you still resenting your mother today. You still mm -hmm. being hateful towards your mother today. That attachment, that enmeshment still exists in the form of resent, right? It doesn't have to always be idolation, uh, idolizing her, glorifying her, right? Mm -hmm. So it's understanding that a lot of these men still hold that charge, right? And neutralizing that charge is by, for me, it's about men looking at their symptoms. Mm -hmm. So looking at my symptoms is understanding that commitment issues is a symptom. Right. It's a symptom of a deeper mother wound. Right. For example, like a headache tells me, wait, I, something's going on in my body. But what I do to find out is by taking notice of my symptoms. So if I have commitment issues, there's a symptom. Right. If I have inability to identify and label my emotions, that's a symptom. Right. Nice. If I have crippling low self-esteem, that's a symptom. Right. Mm -hmm. If I'm able, unable to hold and speak right? When I need to maintain or enforce a boundary, that's a symptom. If I'm always people-pleasing and self-sacrificing and overtaking responsibility in my relationships, that is a symptom, right? So all of these tell me that, wait, from how I related to my mother, there were some things that I learned about myself and how I started to relate to myself. And so it requires us to explore, like, how did our mother show up? Like just being honest about how we viewed our mothers and also how they show up, showed up in our relationship with them, right? Was, was she controlling? Was she emotionally unavailable? Was she, but it's, I think the difficulty in this for men, because for some reason, when we're looking to develop ourselves, we look everywhere, but our relationship with our mothers, I don't know mm -hmm. what it is. It's mm -hmm. like, it's kind of taboo and it's mm -hmm. culturally taboo as well because mothers are over glorified but they're also underappreciated, mm -hmm. right? So there's this kind of like, oh, you can't talk about your mother, but also mothers aren't really appreciated in the way that they need to be, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this cultural stigma that also allows us not to really be honest about how our mother showed up and to also face the part of ourselves that are still holding on to certain feelings and emotions. So part of that is just being honest with ourselves, like just acknowledging what we felt throughout that experience. Mm -hmm. Because... Understanding our mother wound is not about blaming our mothers. I think that's why we kind of shy away from it. And I'm just speaking for men. We kind of shy away from it because sometimes we are tuned into the reality of her experience. Mm -hmm. And that includes her struggles, her sacrifices, her being a single mother, uh, her raising four kids, all of that. We're tuned into it. So there's a sense of guilt that we feel for acknowledging the ways in which she didn't show up. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's about understanding that if we feel guilt in those moments, that's also a deeper layer of information that tells us about how we felt with our mothers. Mm. Because if I feel guilt for acknowledging how I authentically feel, wait, that means I didn't have the capacities to acknowledge how I authentically felt with my mother or around my mother. So the guilt or the shame I might feel might tell me that I did feel or I was guilted and shamed. When I was honest about my feelings, yeah. right? When I was honest about my boundaries, when I was honest and real about my needs, right? 
I mean, have been met with openness, right? So that's already a, a plethora of information that I can use to find out what is going on with me and how is this shaping my issues today? Mm-hmm. And so for men, I think it's important to realize that each of us in our own way still have a level of unconscious loyalty to our mothers. It's mm-hmm. primal. It's the same one we have with our families to where we're like, I love my family. We're like, we embody Vin Diesel, right? We're like, family is everything, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's all about family. Like, once you, if, if nothing in the world is working, you got family, right? This is primal loyalty to our families that becomes very dysfunctional, mm-hmm. right? And it doesn't also encourage self-love. It doesn't encourage self-respect. It doesn't encourage boundaries either. Self-expression, right? right? Self-expression. It doesn't encourage that especially when it's this unreasonable amount of loyalty. So recognizing that we also maintain that with our mothers, even if it's, it's completely unconscious at times. And that level of loyalty looks like me not being able to commit to other women mm-hmm. because I've already committed myself to a woman. How can I give myself to another woman? I can only have one queen in my heart. There's no room for two on the throne. So when a woman steps into my life, I'm like, unconsciously, I'm like, okay, I'm here with her, but I'm really not here, right? Because my attachment lies with somebody else. Mm -hmm. So when I'm having commitment issues, just that I'm only, I'm spilling the beans on myself right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. It's what we do here. Plus we're therapists, so expect it. (laughs) I don't I I mean, I'm still working through it. Just like I said, it cuts very deep. Um, But my mother wouldn't let me to have. Atta- uh, commitment issues so mm-hmm. i never got past six months in a relationship like i would have a, like an alarm clock that would go off and go oh six months and some reason everything mm-hmm. would fall apart and maybe this was just me self-sabotaging <laughs> but at the end of the day i had a very deep bond with my mother mm-hmm. or a deep enmeshment with my mother and so it didn't allow me to really connect or give my full self give my heart to another woman mm-hmm. right so there's profound healing and recognizing where does our attachment lie with our mothers and how are we still not separate from her needs and wants and what she needed us to be? Because that determines who I show up as today. Mm-hmm. Because what I'm saying is that the enmeshment doesn't allow me to break free and create an individualized self that is separate from what my mom needs me to be, from what my mom needs to be happy. Yeah. Because if I choose another woman today, That may not make my mother happy, right? If I connect my emotions and create some emotional depth and intelligence with myself, that may not please my mother because she needs to be needed, right? So I block myself out from creating emotional depth because on some level, I'm still loyal, right? So now when my partner comes in and she's looking to meet me in this space of love, I can't go there. There's this block, right? And so that block is really my unresolved trauma. That block is really my unprocessed emotions. That's what I call a block. So what what emotions have I not processed, right? What traumas have I not confronted and faced? And the repercussions or the consequences of not doing that work look like my, my tendency to look to my partner to mother me, right? To reparent my inner child because I can't do that work for myself. So when she's reparenting my inner child, right, I'm looking towards her in moments where I'm triggered, where I can't 
move through my difficult emotions because mm -hmm. I don't know how to self-soothe or mother myself, right? And this may work for the first two months, it may work for the first year. But what happens over time is that my partner knows that I'm a child. Mm. And no woman wants to be with a child. This is the problem because it helps me when I'm in big, I'm experiencing a lot of stress. I have a lot of emotions. I have some rage. Over time, she loses all attraction to me because no woman wants to be with a child, right? She signed up to be with an adult. She signed up to be with her equal. She signed up for passion, yeah. like, you know, like ravishment. Mm. She, she signed up for that. That's what she wants. She wants to be with a man. She wants to be with her life partner, right? She doesn't want to caretake to a child. So what that looks like manifested is me always pleading and pleading and pleading for sexual intimacy, right? And my partner being so removed from the idea. And I'm like, what the hell did we get here? Mm -hmm. I'm like 15 minutes into the, 15 years into the marriage and my partner doesn't want to be intimate with me anymore, right? Some women I've read, I've heard stories where, you know, they hit menopause and they're like, oh my God, yes. Or they, they, they just hit a certain age where they can, uh, I heard this thing. It was like a thing of TikTok where she was like, I, um, the, the store shut down. Right. But she was telling her girlfriends and she was like very excited about it. And I was like, oh, like, what, like, what are we doing? And I was like, men need to watch these videos to kind of get a grasp of like, what do you like whatever we think we're doing is working in our relationships is not yes like, i say this i say this all the time i'm like if men can hear the way that women talk about sex oh, and God. yeah like i don't know if you think that we're being frigid but like you might want to look in the mirror because my friends and i it's always like i mean we get raunchy like we go there and <laughs> it's in us <laughs> like it's yeah. in women you know but a lot of men don't think that it is it's very interesting to me yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the consequences of looking to our partners to mother us mm -hmm. outweigh these momentary, temporarily gains that we get where we're finally at ease or we're finally feeling some flight of soothness or regulation, mm -hmm. right? They, 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 they don't even add up to the consequences and the, the, the repercussions of that in the long term, yeah. mm -hmm. especially when we've chosen to marry this person. Or especially when we've chosen to commit ourselves to this person, right? They don't add up. It does. It outweighs them every time, like a loss of passion, loss of chemistry, loss of everything. It just completely yeah. crumbles away. And so, you know, when we become adults and we're in these kind of relationships, what that opens us up more to is like, you know, ruptures. But also, as men, when we're emotionally dependent on, you know, sex to feel powerful or to soothe our low self-esteem or to feel that we have some control over our lives right what happens is when that is not happening in our relationship right a partner takes that away she doesn't feel safe anymore right we're like where am i going to get this hit from mm -hmm. where am i going to soothe myself from mm -hmm. so that opens me up to what now i can be now a more the possibility of me cheating right the possibility of me compromising my integrity, the integrity of my relationships, shoots up. Or ending right? the relationship to find it somewhere else. Exactly, exactly. So me running away from this relationship, right, to find somebody else that's willing to do that mm -hmm. for me because my partner has had enough, mm -hmm. right, increases. Now I'm more likely, and I'm like, oh, this relationship just isn't working. It's mm -hmm. like, no, it's, it's not that. It's not that. 
It's that you don't want to face yourself, right? So it's about men getting very real with our incapacities to self-soothe. And part of that, this is why I love this conversation, because it doesn't place us in a position to blame our women because they're not at fault here. Because this is a consequence of the system that we created. So then we criticize the system and we acknowledge the ways in which we uphold it. Mm. Because the system is what allows us and reminds us that we don't need to be connecting to these parts of ourselves. Right. Right. It makes us less of what we mentioned earlier in the initiation. makes Mm -hmm. us less of who we are. Quote unquote, less of who we are. Right. And then we pay the consequences of believing that in our relationships. Mm-hmm. Right. Constantly needing to be soothed through sex or drugs or alcohol or, you know, substances or food or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Right. Not being able to mother ourselves like that's it's a hefty price okay. to uphold the beliefs of the system. Mm-hmm. So this is why I love when men can recognize that because it's about wait, I don't need to uphold this anymore. And how can I break free from the beliefs and values of the system? Yeah. Right. And who will I be if I wasn't molded in the image of this system, mm-hmm. right? Who I believed myself as a man, who, what def- how I define that, if that wasn't defined, right, or casted in the image of this system? Who would I be? Who would I choose to be? Who would I show up, mm-hmm. right? Where would I receive my value from, right? Yeah. That's, that's such an interesting question. That's such an interesting exploration. But I think any man that explores that finds who he really is and finds what he's capable of. Yeah. Oh, Jeremiah. Talk for like, days. You've got to come back because I literally yeah, like, I didn't sure. even like get started on the questions that I have for you and you were so brilliant. And I'm just, you have to come back. Like you, you have to. Thank you so much. I would love to come back. Oh, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to like drag you. You have to. Um, okay. Well, we have a lightning <laughs> round of questions that we asked all of our guests and then we want to be mindful of your time. So, um, we're going to jump in, but who have been your greatest teachers, mentors, people who have influenced your journey up to this point? Mm. Alive or otherwise? People you know or just read about? Or oh, you said alive or otherwise? Or otherwise. Anyway, alive, dead. I'm going to say most of them I have like transitioned on. Yeah. Um, so I have a like a deep connection to Sufism. Mm. So one of my heroes are Hazrat Inyat Khan, which is a spiritual Sufi teacher. Uh, Rumi, I love poetry. I write a lot of poetry myself. And his teacher and beloved Shams of Tabriz, which for me embodies masculinity in its highest, highest expression, uh, sacred masculinity in its highest expression. And um, those three are been really pivotal on my path. And I would say in my life, Loreen Kren, I don't know if you, anyone on listening follows his work, yes. but um, I did some mentorship with him at a phase in my journey, which was really, really helpful mm-hmm. and actually catapulted me a lot and a lot of work that, you know, I, I, as I mentioned earlier, there was so much I couldn't see. Mm-hmm. And he had been on the other side of something I couldn't see for myself mm-hmm. and um, was really, really transformative to work with him in that space. Uh, so he's he's a, he's a guy that I really um, respect and um, admire in a lot of ways. Um, Beautiful. So yeah, those 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 four right now is uh, who immediately comes to mind. 
Love Beautiful. Yeah. So Jeremiah, who do you, or what are you doing or what do you find yourself doing when you're in a state of flow? So what is that thing that you could just kind of blink your eyes and an entire day goes by? Ooh, I would say drawing and painting. Mm. So mm. when my connection or to myself is in that flow state and I'm not trying to get anything done or I'm mm-hmm. not trying to meet any goal or I'm not pursuing anything, my flow state really immediately takes me to drawing something or painting in some shape or form or, or just writing poetry, but definitely uh, painting and drawing. Mm-hmm. I love that. Beautiful. Um, and what breaks your heart, Jeremiah? What breaks my heart? Oh, my God. The sadness of children. Mm-hmm. Uh, children being mistreated. Uh, that really, really breaks my heart. Children not having the capacities or, you know, the invitation to be completely authentic in themselves mm-hmm. really, really, really breaks my heart. Yeah, same. Okay, and then the last one is a doozy. What is your favorite food? My favorite food is pizza. <laughs> Love it. All right. It was like the first American food. You are food in Jersey right had. now, so. <laughs> oh, it was like sense. the first American food that I had. And um, I was like, looked at my mom, like, what is this? Like, this is brilliant. And I was coming from Africa, and I just remember like having pizza, and I've been in love with pizza wow. ever since. It's my favorite. Favorite. Good answer. Love it. This New Yorker says it's a good answer. <laughs> well, Jeremiah, this is um, the episode that I'm like, we're definitely going to have to do a part two because you are just such an unbelievable mm-hmm. treasure. I can't tell you how many men that I work with I have shared your content with, and you are just such an incredible resource wow. and a gift. So thank you for the way that you're showing up in the world, truly. Um, it's an honor to meet you. And Thank you for um, just sharing all of your wisdom with us. You must come back and continue the conversation. And will you tell us a little bit, like, where do our listeners find you? You have a masterclass coming up. So, you know, tell us about that. Yeah. So um, all of my socials are under Byermias. That's B-Y-E-R-M-E-A-S. That's Instagram. That's TikTok. That's Twitter. And in the next couple of weeks, I have a masterclass that's going to be two hours and 30 minutes long. And I'm gathering men that are interested in exploring their mother wounds. The title of the masterclass is Life Beyond the mm-hmm. Mother Wound. So mm-hmm. it's giving men the practical tools to look at their mother wound, but also go beyond it, discover themselves beyond that level of enmeshment that we talked about today and what their relationships look like or who they could be. Uh, when they're not entangled or enmeshed with their relationship with their mother and the pain that's stored in that experience and that relationship. Uh, so that's coming in the, in the next couple of weeks. But right now, everyone can join the wait list and be the first to know when the registration opens and receive an early bird discount for the masterclass. So, yes. I love it. And so the link's in your bio, yeah? Yes. And so the link's in my bio throughout each of my uh, platforms. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, I might be I might be sending some people your way to sign up for that. And it's great because we already have like 200 plus Aww. men signed up, which oh, like, awesome. I'm so happy to be like, oh, my God. I oh, mean, it was kind of mm, kind of like that alone, you know, hearing that we're all there are 200 men signed up to do this type of work. That just made my heart explode. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Uh, well, well, we will so have you back. And until then, <laughs> take care of yourself. Yes.
No, thank you guys. Wish you a beautiful day. Thanks for hanging out with us here on Cheaper Than Therapy. We really appreciate you sharing your time with us. We mean it. We're so excited to announce that we're bringing back our now annual intensive retreat to kick off the new year. We call it From Self-Abandonment to Inner Belonging. Hi, it's going to be the first week in January, January 1st through the 6th in Carefree, Arizona at the most incredible location, Savannah Wellness Resort and Spa. Yeah, so during this week-long immersive experience, we're going to be supporting you in doing the work that we are most passionate about doing with our clients, but also with ourselves. This work is all about pattern interruption, taking a hard look at the ways that we've been living that aren't necessarily in alignment with our full potential. Some of the ways we've been societally conditioned to abandon ourselves as a way to maintain our relationships, no matter how unfulfilling. So tangibly, what that looks like is working to understand our codependent patterns, doing a deep dive into shadow work, what that is and how we can start to understand our own shadow, using the tools from our background in depth psychology to support you in living a life that feels like it's filled with meaning and moving into a more interdependent way of operating in all of our relationships. So if all of this sounds like work that you're feeling called to do in your own life, we would obviously absolutely love for you to join us in January. Head to the link in each of our Instagram bios, or you can go to Vanessa's website under retreats for some more information. And we just can't wait to kick off another New Year's together in Carefree. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.